Another day, another chapter of Crimes, Crews and Christmas with me, Ferg. Me, Heather. And squeaks and grunts from the newest new old friend in our arms. Right then, Arch. She's, she's she's, really, she is giving it she's some. Really Go, sorry. Right, quiet though now, Mummy speaking. Okay, right then. Archridge has been hired. He knows what he has to do and he's off to get it done. I'm sorry, are we on a boat? She sounds like a creaky old shit. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a simple enough case, and surely nothing will go wrong, will it, Heather? What, like a murder or something? That would be silly. Very silly. Christmas quiz, Ferg? Do you mean hashtag NOF quiz, H? I do. Question three, and this one, will reward long-term comedy whodunit fans. And who... Pay attention. Um, what is the name of the island Artridge visited in Crimes Against Christmas last year? Ooh, a toughie, That's unless a tough you've been one. listening. Tough nut to crack. Anyway, answers via social media using the hashtag NOFFriends, that's hashtag NOFFriends, or through our website, and there'll be a prize for the winner at the end of the month. Oh, chapter three of Crimes, Clues and Christmas. Ding, ding. That's the Christmas bell. (laughs) Crimes, Clues and Christmas, chapter three. I accepted my new mission with good humour. Rawlins fetched something from one of his drawers, stood up from his chair and came round his desk to clap me on the shoulder. Good lad, Archridge. I'm sure you'll have all this wrapped up quickly and there'll be a prime seat for you at the club functions moving forward. It'll be a pleasure, Mr Rawlins. I spotted the item he'd withdrawn from his desk was an envelope filled to bursting. I could feel my eyes almost pop out of their sockets with glee. Was it my fee causing the seams to strain so? Please call me Eldridge. (laughs) Here, here's the information you'll need along with some tickets for tonight's performance and an introduction to the people you'll need to speak with. They'll be expecting you. He handed me the now rather less enticing parcel and gave an almost imperceptible nod to Florence, who scuttled over to open the door. The excitement over the envelope had placed my fee firmly in the centre of my mind and I wasn't about to be given the bum's rush out of the office without agreeing my remuneration. I'm not so green as all that. Very good, sir. Thank you. But look, this sort of thing is my line of work, and as my line of work, uh, it's customary for me to charge for my services, Mr Rawlins. Eldridge, my boy, Eldridge. I know, I know. Money makes the world go round. I totally understand. I'll see you later when it's all done. There's a good chap. He waved me off to the door but I was not to be dissuaded so easily. What I'm saying is we, we've not actually agreed my fee or expenses for the work, Mr. Ro- Eldridge. He turned to me, eyes suddenly thin and black. The top of his bare head turned red under his cloud of white, and his wing-like ears started to quiver. I think it's best if you call me Mr. Rollins if you're going to sit there and try and chisel funds off me, my boy! Chisel? Me? No, I wasn't. I, I wouldn't. As I was groping away for the right words to explain myself, Florence nestled herself in closely to her husband, her bosom at his eyeline. She was a good few inches taller than he was, and her bosom had fallen from the heady days of her youth. Back then, she would probably have been able to balance them on his head, and given some of the things she'd almost let slip in this office, maybe she did. There you go, dear. The nice man isn't chiselling or anything of the sort. All his smiles... Like after the former king of Uganda used his ceremonial shield to make money. That's quite enough, thank you, Florence. (laughs) You're quite right. I overreacted. Exactly. She agreed. Goodbye, Mr. Artridge. 
Thank you for helping us with this. I smiled at her as I left the room and carried on smiling halfway along the corridor until I realised I still hadn't actually agreed any fee for my work. I turned smartly on my heel, planning to go and give the pair a piece of my mind. But then the image of Rawlins all a-quiver with rage and that schoolboy ready for the cane feeling returned. I reasoned I'd solve the case, return the trinkets, and then the reward money would flow. Surely. I checked my watch. 5.30pm. I had plenty of time to head back to the office and change my outfit ready for the ballet that evening. Some chaps get sniffy about the ballet, but I'm not one of them. I love it. The beautiful girls, the dressing up, the sense of occasion, the beautiful girls, the music, the grandeur of the theatre. Have I mentioned the girls? I took my time with my toilet, making sure I was perfectly clean-shaven, my shirt collar starched to an almost injurious stiffness, and selected a gorgeous jacket for the occasion. It was a deep green, almost to the point of black, single-breasted tuxedo with gold jacquard, velvet shawl lapels and braided frogging buttons at the front. I allowed myself a moment to admire myself before spritzing on some cologne and heading out. I was looking good. I took a cab to the theatre and took my place in line at the box office. There were admiring looks for my outfit from some of the more discerning patrons, but I was by no means the only one to have made an effort. There was an incredibly striking woman lounging against the wall of the foyer near the stairs, who had on a dress so fitted it could have been painted onto her. It was a sumptuous vermilion, and she'd selected a shade of lipstick which matched it impeccably. Between these perfectly painted lips, she cast the end of a long cigarette holder tight in her pearly white, faultlessly straight teeth. Her white blonde hair was slicked back against her skull as tightly as her dress hugged her slender frame. She oozed drama and style. My heart skipped a beat when she locked eyes with me and raised an inquisitive eyebrow. You are Artridge, no? She asked in a German accent, with all the precision that country's engineers are famous for. Having her undivided attention focused on me felt a little like I had when I was facing down the barrel of the erstwhile Lord de Planis last Christmas. But, being the suave debonair that I am, I coped with it admirably. I? Who, Artridge? Me, yes. Artridge, me. You who? I mean to say, yes. Yes, I'm Artridge. You who? I'm Artridge, who might you be? That might not sound like a man coping admirably, but this woman really was quite striking. She withdrew her cigarette holder and blew a smoke ring in front of her, which seemed to grow large enough for her to step through. As the smoke reached my nostrils, they were filled with a fragrance I couldn't quite place. I sniffed a few times. It is Honeysuckle, Mr. Artridge. Pleased to meet you, Ms. Honeysuckle. Or is it Ms. Suckle, first name Honey? (laughs) What? I am Alena Schweinvolger. What you are smelling is honeysuckle. I have my cigarettes especially made for me. She tapped her ash onto the floor without a second thought. Do you smoke, Mr. Artridge? I pulled out my pipe from my breast pocket. I do. One part Virginian, two parts Burley, and a pinch of Latakia. I have my tobacco specially mixed, too. Really? Of what does the smoke smell? Well, um... Smoke, really. How dull. Anyway, come with me now. She started to stride away. Her legs appeared to be telescopic, extending effortlessly out in front of her dress and carrying her away. I struggled to keep up. Uh, I've not actually collected my tickets yet, I'm afraid. I'm, uh, also, um, who are you? She stopped instantly and pivoted on the spot with great force. Her cobalt blue eyes were wide with surprise and her eyebrows had thrown themselves skyward. You don't know who I am? Um, no. Sorry. 
am Alena Schweinvolger. Schweinvolger? I'm awfully sorry, Miss Schweinvolger, Schweinvolger, but that doesn't ring any bells. There is only von Schweinvolger, and I am she. I have been prima ballerina at the most prestigious ballet companies in the world. Do you not enjoy the ballet? I do. I, I really do. I wasn't lying. I love the ballet. But I can't be expected to learn their names, can I? I mean, they change every season. But you have not heard of the great Marlena Schweinvolger. This is ludicrous. She looked like she was either going to burst into hysterical tears or beat me hysterically over the head with her clutch bag. Neither option particularly appealed, so I employed a bit of the famous Artridge Guile. Hang on. Did you say Schweinvolger? I thought you said Schweinvolver. Schweinvolver? This sounds rude. Well, that's what I thought. Of course I've heard of Marlena Schweinvolger. Such a lovely name. What does it mean? Pig follower. Ah, such a rich language German, isn't it? I cannot tell if I like you, Mr. Artridge. You did not recognise me. You did not bring me flowers, and now I am not sure if you are mocking me. She bit hard on the end of her cigarette holder, exposing her canines intimidatingly against the blood red of her lips. It did funny things to my inside. Not altogether unpleasant things, but unusual all the same. I decided I'd try and restart the whole proceedings. You're quite right, Miss Schweinvolger. I've made a real pig's ear of this. She looked confused. A, a pig's ear? It, it means to make a mess of it, because I suppose a pig has messy ears. I've made it look like the ear of a pig. Do you follow? Are you making a joke? Pig follow? What? Oh, Schweinvolger. Pig follower. I see. No, no. Allow me to start again, as if we haven't met. Please, please, just, just turn around for 30 seconds. She frowned at me, but did as I asked. With her back turned, I took the opportunity to whip a rose out of a vase which was standing on a plinth in the hallway and threw both my arms wide. Oh my gosh! I'd know that silhouette anywhere! That can only be the great Marlena Schweinbolger, surely. Marlena, is it you? I wasn't sure how my little gambit would play, but Marlena showed herself to be a true performer by spinning round with a hundred megawatt smile on full blast, clasping her hands to her chest. What is this? I bowed deeply and offered up the rose to her. Oh, Marlena, I'm such a fan of yours. Ever since I saw you in the, um, St. Petersburg? Moscow. Moscow Ballet. She took the rose from me and did a little curtsy. Thank you, Mr. Artridge. This was a funny little show you make for me. We are friends again now. Come, I will show you backstage. She held the rose to her nose and giggled a little to herself before trotting off to a side door which she disappeared through. I was about to follow her when my progress was stopped by a large hand upon my shoulder. The word love was tattooed across the knuckles, but I had a feeling the other hand would be filled with hate. It reminded me of a prank a school pal of mine had once pulled. He pretended to be a tattooist, but instead of giving out the usual love and hate on the knuckles, he inked M-E-N-T on one poor chap's left and A-R-G-U on the right. Well, then he had an argument on his hands, let me tell you. I've digressed. Back to the main narrative, your hero, Artridge, was following the delectable Marlena to the backstage area when some painted thug had stopped him in his tracks. Oi, said the owner of the hand. I was just about to say the same thing. Oi to you too. What are you playing at? Grabbing a chap like that. You'll damage my jacket. I turned to face my accoster and was greeted by a visage so gnarled and rugged it looked like it was hewn from bedrock. I could see a certain charm to it though, in a vaguely Neanderthal sort of way. A large, much broken nose meandered its way down the centre of the face like a river between two hills of the heavy-set dark eyebrows which hooded a pair of pale grey eyes. 
His stubble started so high up his cheeks, it was difficult to tell where his eyelashes ended and the beard began. His facial hair was close-shaven, but still dark enough to shade the whole lower half of his face. I'm Keiki. I run the flies here, and Marlena's out of bands. You understand? He growled at me. Actually, no, I don't. I don't understand at all. What are you blathering on about, cake and flies and such? My name is Keiki, and I run the flies. The bits that come in and out from above. And I'm telling you to stay away from Marlena if you know what's good for you. Look here, Mr. Keiki. I've been hired by the chairman of this company. And if he's seen fit to get Marlena to show me around, then be shown around by Marlena is what I'll do. I don't see how it's any business of yours in any case. I gave this Keiki chap my most defiant look. The one with both eyebrows raised, but not so far as to indicate shock. He scratched at his stubble and shook his head before walking off and muttering, Well, don't say I didn't warn you, chum. Peter Archwood Esquire is not one to shirk his responsibilities, especially if his responsibilities include spending time with an absurdly glamorous ballet dancer. But with hindsight, perhaps I'd have done well to heed Keiki's warning. Crime Clues and Christmas is a New Old Friends production, part of the Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears podcast series. Written and performed by Fergus Woods Dunlop and Heather Westwell, with sound and music by Fred Riding. New Old Friends gratefully acknowledge the support of Arts Council England in making Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears. Mm-hmm.